In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hi, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Abar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green. And for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Abar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we hear from Colleen Kinder. Colleen is a writer and a bona fide Canadian. Well, kinda. See, her husband is Canadian, and through him, she's gotten to know Canada in all its friendly glory. But there was one place she hadn't yet explored, the Via Rail train system, where the social default is to, quote, share time with fellow wayfarers, whoever they may be. So in the pre-pandemic days of 2019, we sent her on an 800-plus-mile train trip through the Maritimes. Here's how she learned what it really means to be Canadian. If I had to choose one word to describe my husband, I might just say Canadian. We're talking about a man to whom the word sorry comes as readily as hey, A guy who looks most at home wearing a flannel shirt or navigating a canoe. Rare is the day that my man doesn't tune in to CBC Radio for hours. And then there's his friendly streak. So chatty with strangers is he that we have a code for when I'm exhausted by small talk and need it to cease. I find his pinky finger and I tug it hard. I sometimes feel like I'm living alongside the classic embodiment of Canada. But a single person is a single story, and Canada contains multitudes. Home to 37 million people, it's second in landmass only to Russia. The kind of place that, if you're like me, a train junkie, looks prime to explore by rail. 
Shortly after our wedding, I book a ticket on a historic passenger locomotive called the Ocean Train, which winds through Canada's maritime provinces. It'll be a solo journey, a chance to strike out alone, to wander into conversations and let strangers paint me their own portraits of Canada. To catch the train, I head east to Montreal, two time zones and 10 worlds away from Alberta, a prairie province in my new home base. Montreal is comprehensively French. The perfume of fresh pan au chocolat pouring onto the sidewalk, a fromagerie where the circumference of a brie wheel inspires awe. But Montreal is also Dieter, my Algerian-Canadian cab driver, who rattles off half a dozen food recommendations in our 20-minute ride, and Habib, a Syrian refugee who lights up when I sputter a few words in Arabic. You refreshed my morning, Habib says as we part. People tend to think of friendliness as mildness, a limp or neutral element. But here in this stylish, francophone city stocked with reasons to intimidate me, the Canadian character feels more like a force, mighty enough to put me right at home. My train leaves Montreal on a rainy spring night. I mill on board, stuff myself on three-tiered chocolate cake in the dining car, then let the soft thumping of train wheels on tracks soothe me to sleep while the ocean train roots north along the mighty St. Lawrence River. It's light that yanks me awake at 5 a.m., a great blast of it flooding the cracks of my curtains. I yank them open to see a beauty of a river, wide and ash-gray. Trunks of birch trees pulse in and out of view, quick as the pages of a flick book. It's April, but the last of winter snow still holds its ground, a faint brown color, like lightly torched creme brulee. Within seconds of plopping down in the viewing car, I fall into conversation with Sam, a college student in Prince Edward Island. From Sam, I learn that Prince Edward Island is just the island and Newfoundland is the rock. Got it, love it. No need to ask Sam what he's majoring in. I simply confirm. You're a history major, right? Indeed. In the mid-1800s, Sam tells me, Canada was a loose patchwork of regions, with the West in danger of being swallowed by the U.S. Canadian leaders aimed to hold off the Americans by uniting the provinces into one confederation, but British Columbians would only join on a condition, that a railroad be built, linking them in. The Canadian Pacific Railway was built both masterfully and fast. The engineer who completed it in half the projected time was Sir William Cornelius Van Horn, and he's considered one of the reasons that Canada, as we know it today, coalesced. After hopping off the train for two days to explore northern New Brunswick, I board again, headed for St. Andrews, a seaside town so far south you can spot Maine from its shores. The plan is to meet Susan there, but every plan I've made with Susan has been qualified by the tides. Susan holds the keys to the palatial estate of Canada's railway baron, Sir Van Horn, But for much of any given day, the road to this historic property is underwater. Welcome to life in the Bay of Fundy, where the shoreline is a shifty hem, the water level rising nearly as high as a four-story building at peak tide, then falling to nothing in a matter of hours. I beat Susan to a shoreline road and stare out at the sandbar, which is still half-washed in seawater. When you're literate in tides, it must be easier to trust that the 4 p.m. waters will recede, but all I see are waves rolling in. Sure enough, by the time Susan arrives, two lanes worth of quasi-dry surface has emerged. 
Hop in my car, she motions me over. Van Horn's summer home is nothing short of a castle. Susan tours me through the 50-room sandstone house, disappearing every few minutes to flick on or off a set of lights for the next wing. If I forget and leave the lights on, she says, people in town will see. Susan lives a short drive away, but once she's out here at high tide, she might as well be alone in the wilderness. There's no better feeling, Susan tells me, like a person describing her favorite kind of massage, than when you're on the island at high tide and know that you're alone in this paradise of a place. Perhaps this was the charm for Van Horn, mastermind of Canada's connectivity. Susan drops me off at my car, and I'm swept with the temptation to drive the sandbar myself. It's as wide as a six-lane highway now. I got this, I think. Ten seconds into my crossing, I feel tires sink. Shit. I do not got this. Through the windshield, I look straight into the gaze of a man walking two golden retrievers. He sees me, sees my mess, my panic. As quickly as I know I have royally screwed up, I know I'm about to be helped. Reverse and hit the gas hard, Craig calls out. I do as told until the whir of embattled wheels gives way to the lurch of a car suddenly free. I keep reversing until what's under my tires feels like a road without air quotes, then pause for Craig and the retrievers to catch up. Right there, mid-sandbar, we talk life. His kids, his wife, taxes and how many times he's seen cars get stuck right here. Apparently, I'm not the first stranger he's coached out of the muck. Journalist Peter C. Newman famously quipped that Canada is the only country on Earth whose citizens dream of being Clark Kent instead of Superman. Like most sweeping statements about Canada, Newman's platitude is both a jibe and a compliment, depending on your values. I doubt Craig saw himself as a hero in a story, but as I gun it back towards paved roads, I certainly do. What a treat to go eat dinner, fresh lobster rolls and gravy-drenched poutine, rather than watch the fundy tides creep up the tires of my rental car. But by the time the ocean train delivers me to Halifax, the introvert in me has flicked on. You might say I'm a bit friendlied out by Canada, that I'd tug the city's pinky finger if it had one. My lodging, an old church rectory converted into modern flats, is perfectly appointed for a recluse. And there is one place on my Halifax must-see list that's just as appetizing to a hermit. The Halifax Central Library. Like a greenhouse for growing book lovers, the library's interior is positively sun-drenched. All the more remarkable, then, to discover a station marked Light Therapy on floor three. While you pour over a novel, you can bask in mood-enhancing light, a kind of civic courtesy for survivors of the long, dark winters here. We have smaller light therapy lamps you can check out, a bespectacled librarian assures me. I love Canada. I love finding these micro-kindnesses, these tiny differences. I'm not finding them tiny at all. In 10 days, they've recalibrated how I move through space. They must have. How else can I explain my choice later that day to walk right into a Halifax axe-throwing bar alone and sober? Folks, I throw axes. 
I throw lots of axes at a wall with lots of dents, and when one of my axes at last sticks, thanks to a long-lashed college student named Alexandra who points out that I need more flick in my wrists, I feel triumphant. I am 800-some miles down the tracks from Montreal, and this dude fest of a bar has nothing in common with the Paris-inflected metropolis where my journey began, except that it felt just as intimidating and then just as softened by the warmth of Canadian strangers. It's not until I'm back home that I realize how peppered my notebook pages are with first names, more than could fit in a single story. The very last of the names belongs to Lee, whom I meet at the airport, where he sells gummy lobsters and Nova Scotian taffy. Lee tells me that he once lived in Boston, but was happy to move back north to Canada. Down there, Lee says, it's a dog-eats-dog world. What's this world, then, I wonder? A librarian lens light therapy world? A let-me-coach-you-out-of-the-quicksand world? My notes are a compendium of candidates, flash encounters that not only animate Canada, but remind me why we need to get on trains and wander foreign shores and talk to strangers. Stereotypes are huge, boxy containers for nuanced, living, breathing truths. The word nice tells us almost nothing. But Sam or Dieter, Habib or Craig, any one of them can show you, in seconds, where its power resides. That was Colleen Kinder. She spent this past fall, quote, enjoying the Canadian warmth and character once again. She just finished editing a collection called Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones Who Haunt Us, which will be out in fall 2021. And last, but certainly not least, she had a baby, a pandemic baby, she says, a little girl named Maeve who hasn't yet been on a train. We're sure she'll be a little wayfarer in no time. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours? 